Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to Asking for a Friend. My name is Katrina Buffard, and I'm a clinical sexologist and psychotherapist. This podcast provides you with evidence-based information and real-world advice about getting to know yourself better sexually, and it covers all those topics that we would rather ask about for a friend. Just a warning, this podcast may contain conversations of a sexual nature and isn't suitable for kids. Every year... As a woman, I get a reminder to have a pap smear. But do you know why you need this? And did you know that having a pap smear is only testing for a few strains of the sexually transmitted infection, human papillomavirus, or HPV? This week's episode delves into this topic with the wonderful and brilliant gynecologist, Dr. Mpumi Zender. Dr. Mpumi is a passionate obstetric gynecologist sexologist practicing in Johannesburg. She's a social media presence and is passionate about providing solutions to sexual and reproductive health and wellness through connecting media and medicine. We bust myths, tell you what you really need to know, break down what HPV is, and talk a little bit about how we wish things would change in order to eradicate cervical cancer. We speak a lot to the experiences of women, but this episode is for everyone. Dr. Mpumi, I'm so chuffed that I get to speak to you today on the podcast, and it's about a topic that I, I really feel we need to be talking more about. Thank you. Thank you for having me, uh, Katrina. And, you know, this is one of my, I'd say favorite, but also it's something that is so common. I see so commonly um, um, in, in my practice. So I'm so glad you, you're doing this. Well, already that makes me, I don't, I don't know if I should use the word happy, but relieved to hear because so often I speak to, I speak to people who, who just feel so isolated by getting an abnormal PAP result, you know, and a diagnosis of HPV and feeling like, you know, what have I done wrong? I was not promiscuous, you know, I don't sleep around, I'm responsible. There's so much stigma around STIs in general, but I guess yeah. HPV... I would love to like kind of go into it and unpack it with you to make more sense of why and how it is that this very, very common, um, you know, infection that we can all experience has the kind of associations that it does. But I think the best place for us to start is just, you know, what is HPV? Right. So HPV is actually a human papillomavirus. It's a group of, of, of it's, you know, these different strains. Um, and, you know, when you look at the research, although they probably kind of, you know, pointed out to the T about 40, they do estimate that there's probably even more than that, like up to 100 strains. Now, the, the, the biggest reason we, we focus so much on HPV is because of the high risk um, strains that uh, um, tends to cause, 70% of the time tends to cause um, cervical cancer. It doesn't mean that it can only cause cervical cancer. It can cause oropharyngeal, it can cause anal, uh, penile cancer, but significantly more, um, it is the cervical cancer. Now, you know, you talk about stigma and, and, and it's, it's quite, a, it's quite a, a big thing because, in fact, any, any STI, like you said, is associated with a lot of stigma. It's associated with, you know, I find couples in a relationship starting to look at each other like who did what. And it is so important for people to understand that, first of all, you know, human papilloma is very transmittable just on contact, you know, um, uh, vaginal whether it's heterosexual couples, whether it's, you know, couples, same-sex couples, exactly the same. It's very easy. You don't have to even have a breakage of the skin, so to speak. And, and, and it is the most common STI. Um, naturally, our bodies are supposed to be able to um, get rid of and, and, and literally eliminate it from our system. But with all sorts of other things um, coming to play, your immune system, um, you know, exposure, that tends to be a... a you know, a, a big contributing factor. So definitely a big stigma, but the real concern that we have and why we zoom in into HPV is because of the risk of cervical cancer in particular. Um, and, and the fact that it is so preventable, you know, to, 
the, the precancerous lesions are, are so treatable um, such that technically speaking, no woman should actually be dying of cervical cancer in this day and age. And yet we still see significant amounts um, of women who die from this, particularly in, in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa. Um, it, it, it is a massive statistic in terms of the number of people that still die from cervical cancer. I mean, that's, that's, Crazy. You know, I was speaking to Professor Alna McIntosh um, a couple of, oh gosh, last month for during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And, and one of the things that she, she really emphasized was that early detection saves lives. And I guess I'm hearing the same thing from you is testing and treatment saves lives when it comes to HPV. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, I would even, I would even go as far as adding awareness because, you know, when you look at the number of women um, who, who show up for their pap smears, it, it, it is ridiculous. The uptake in terms of, you know, um, checking in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, how do I say, in, in, in the form of pap smears. It's, it's ridiculous. And a lot of women are hesitant, apprehensive about going to a healthcare to get their pap smears done. Uh, so awareness is also just as important. We don't have enough drive, whether it's in the media, whether it's in our social media, um, in terms of talking about this to De demystify and destigmatize just talking about the topic and, and, and allowing women to feel free to, to go and understand that it is for their absolute benefit to, to get uh, screened early. And, and even if your pap smear is abnormal, um, you know, even if your pap smear is abnormal, that, that, that is something that we probably can treat rather than 5, 10, 15 years later, you know, you rock up, you're now with, uh, um, you know, cancer, which is so much more devastating and, and just invasive in terms of the kind of treatment that, that goes into it. There, gosh, there, there is just so much there that we need to unpack um, and we need to talk about. What are the prevalence rates? I mean, do you know kind of the prevalence of HPV locally in South Africa or globally, perhaps? There's a, there's a big difference between the prevalence of HPV because anyone who is sexually active will at least in their lifetime, you know, get HPV. So that's how prevalent it is. So if you haven't had sex, if you've never had sex. If you've never had sex, that's the only, that's, that's the only safety net in terms only of. Got it. Okay. So, and, and so people have to understand the difference between the prevalence of HPV in terms of the virus itself does not mean necessarily mean that your, your you already have cervical changes, so to speak. Um, and it also does not mean that you have cancer because those are three different entities in terms of when you talk about prevalence. When you talk about prevalence in terms of um, now prevalence of cancer, cervical cancer in particular, um, at least, you know, globally it's reported at least about 690,000 women per year. Um, and then what, what, is, what, is, what is even worse off is when you look at our country, South Africa, um, it is cervical cancer is the commonest, um, um, you know, uh, commonest cancer amongst women, particularly amongst black women, because there is this link around um, poor socioeconomic. It is crazy. You know, it, it, it's, it's it, the number of cases per year are, are, are ridiculous. I mean, if you think about 690 globally, 690,000, it, it's, it's too much. I was about to say to you, just to confirm, that's nearly 700,000 women a year globally. That is a whopping number. Yeah. And these were, I think these were from about 2018, you know, um, which, which is like, like I said, it, it is scary. You know, if you, if you had to look 10, 20 years because of the advancements, you, you kind of could say, okay. But we, we, we don't seem to be moving in the direction where, where it is decreasing significantly based on all the advances from the vaccines to, to, the, to the improved kind of testings that we do now that we didn't, we didn't have back then. It, it is scary that we still have such um, high numbers. 
So the thingy that you mentioned that stood out for me was that black women are, are more susceptible. I mean, why is that? Is it because of lack of access to healthcare and something like, you know, prevention with pap smears? What is the reason behind that? Oh, it, it is definitely abs, uh, um, related to the socioeconomic. And, and if you look, um, you know, the big discrepancies in our, in our country is that you have um, like grand inequalities. So if you look at, for example, private sector, you, you almost find over-treating. You find women going and having pap smears almost every single year, which may, which is not, may not be necessary. Of course, there are times where we individualize and somebody actually does need to have a pap smear every year. But, but in general, just the general rule, you find there's over-treating um, in the private sector. And then you look in the public sector, which, is, which can be scary. You know, um, a lot of, it, it, starting with the guidelines, for example. The guidelines say a woman um, from at least an age of 25 can start having their pap smear and should at least have a pap smear every 10 years. Now, that's not enough. Um, also, in the, pub, in the public sector, we don't have um, availability of actual HPV testing as yet. We still just do cytology, cytology only. Now that also, if you look at the 10 year period, so much can happen. Somebody can literally, you know, have a precancerous and move all the way to cancer within the 10 year, if they've just only had one, um, you know, pap smear. So the policies themselves are not adequate, but also um, in terms of access, um, some people will go and get their pap smears, but never get their results. Results get lost or they, you know, they basically what we call lost to follow up. Um, even people who, who have abnormal, abnormal pap smears in the public sector sometimes it is so hard to get the person to come back and then they have a colposcopy um, and if they need further treatment whether it's the legs whether they need to go to uh, um, uh, you know theater for and even like for example early stages of cancer um, you find that in terms of the turnaround time between the pap smear being done and the treatment being instituted it 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 there's just too much time that lapses and then it and therefore allows for um, you know people coming in late or being detected late that they've got cancer at at at, at advanced stages, which which is like I said, is is just it's sad. Mm, it it really is because as you you've really emphasized just just now that it's so preventable and this is is we could eradicate cervical cancer it would be something relatively easy to do if we had the ability to offer every woman access to um, pap smears and as uh, you know, colposcopies and so on. Um, so I guess I'm wanting to understand the, the, the process um, for a woman. All right. So a woman comes to see you for her, for her pap smear. And she has her pap smear, assuming she can have one, because I work with a lot of women that, that can't have pap smears due to, due to sexual pain. But the majority of these women have not had sex before. So again, as you said, that's the safety net. So a woman comes to see you, she's had her pap smear, and she gets an abnormal result. What is the next step? So there's a number of things that we have to look at. It, it, first of all, it depends what is... The, the abnormal pap um, what what are the findings because there's a number of things that we would look at in terms of the actual you know results the, the, there's what we grade we kind of grade it there's what you call the low grade um, uh, um, SIL which is basically sort of like early changes but we're, we're not thinking it's high risk as yet and also it also depends on what was the previous pap smear if she had had a, pre a previous pap so for example somebody who's had an abnormal pap um, in their previous and then they're having another one that's what we, we call that recurrent or persistent the the, the treatment then is, is 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 a bit more is is different so that person um automatically if they've had a previous perhaps abnormal pap they automatically fall into the category of those that you need to go and do a colposcopy and do a biopsy um, and may need or may or may not need a lens um, somebody who's got an abnormal 
PEP for the first time um, and it is, it is that at low grade, you may repeat the PEP, you may repeat the PEP smear, PEP smear in about a year's time. Um, if they are HIV positive, so that that's an underlying disease that, that affects somebody's immune, immune system. In fact, HIV in particular um, has, has a great uh, impact on how quickly the disease advances. Uh, um, so somebody who's got an underlying HIV, for example, will have a, a repeat pap smear um, much earlier um, if they've got an abnormal pap for the first time, so in, in within six months. And then if somebody has already got a, you know, H, which is a high grade, high grade, that is a danger because you are literally at the point where it's just before you get to the cancer. I think also something that is very important to, to highlight is that a pap smear, remember, it's not a diagnostic test. It is a screening test. So it is also possible that somebody comes in with an abnormal pap um, and, and, and that's why something like a high grade, for example, you, you automatically take them for a colposcopy. You do further testing, colposcopy, uh, biopsy, and they may or may not need a, a full um, a lens. So what we call a large loop excision, excision of the transformation zone, which is basically um, just, it's, it's almost like coring out the cervix, if I, if I can call it that. It's, it's not as hectic as it sounds. It's actually quite a, a simple procedure. You don't even have to go uh, to theater um, in, in in, in most cases. So, so it, there is a lot of individualizing in terms of when somebody comes in with an abnormal pap. There's a quite a number of things, as I've mentioned, that you have to consider to decide whether this is something that we can wait and just repeat the pap smear again, or if it's something that where we need to uh, then uh, go to the next step, which is, like I said, going and going to do a colposcopy and you want a diagnostic procedure in somebody that you already are suspecting something like a high-grade cell. Okay, and, and I think it may be just helpful for me to say to my listeners that a, a colposcopy is, is a procedure you, you would use to find cancerous or abnormal cells on the cervix, the vagina, um, the vulva even. Is that accurate? Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. And you're looking to make sure that the cells that you're finding aren't cancerous and, and if they are, then needing to take it further, as you mentioned, with those other procedures. So for a woman who's come in, she's had, an ab she's had her pap smear, it's come back with an abnormal but low-grade um, result, that means that she just needs to come back annually to have her pap smear. Is, mm -hmm. that, is that right? That's accurate, yes. Accurate, okay. So annually she has a pap smear. If we have a woman who's in a monogamous relationship and she's sexually active with one person only and she's had uh, several, you know, a couple of years of, of, negative, or of normal pap smears, how often should she test? at least um, every three to five years. But also, I, I just want to put this out there that, it, you know, the guidelines differ from country to country. Um, also, over and above that, if, if somebody has a, they have access to what we call now HPV testing or co-testing, so um, the cytology, which is looking at your own cells, your cervical cells, and then the HPV testing is actually looking if there is a strain that has been found on on the on the on on you know in, in your cervix. So if somebody has done co-testing, what it helps with actually is that if somebody does an HPV test and they there wasn't a high risk uh, strain that was found is that they actually have a bit more leeway in terms of time. So instead of three years, you can, you can check them every five years. Um, I know that a lot of women are very anxious about, uh, the, especially when they actually can go and get a pap smear done every year or every two years. A lot of women will still go and ask for a pap smear um, you know, much earlier, much sooner than that. I think where for me it always helps is also to take away this burden where somebody, for whatever reason, hasn't been to have their pap smear in like two, three years and they are, they come in literally cringing into your rooms and they're like, oh doc, I haven't done my 
please don't feel bad. You are here now. Let's get it done. Um, but in terms of the guy, at, at, at the very least, three to five years, depending on the type of testing that somebody has done, whether it's a co-testing or if it's just a cytology. What also is important, like I said, um, um, if somebody has underlying um, co co comorbid diseases that affect their immunity, particularly HIV, then you have to do it much earlier. So somebody who's HIV positive, if they've had an abnormal pap, they do have to go in every single year. The only time that you, you actually do stop or you go back to the three to five years is, 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 is if the, especially if it's something like a low grade, if it resolves. Because remember, I also want women to be aware that just because you have an abnormal pap this year, um, it doesn't mean next year it'll still be abnormal. Um, it, it can resolve. Your body can can actually, um, you know, uh, clear it out. And and quite often, especially if it is uh, low grade and there was no um, uh, no HPV, especially the high strains found, um, it, it it does resolve. Sometimes you get something that is sort of like an in betweener that we call ascus or um, atypical uh, changes of unknown origin. So we don't know whether it's, it's, it, the, the changes of the cervix are as a result of the HPV or it's as a result of just minor infections like, or, you know, like what we call cervicitis as a result of either, you know, just, you know, somebody who's got recurrent um, uh, um, yeast or what we call thrush infections. Um, so that can also have an effect on the cervix. So you do get this like gray zone-ish um, that we call ascus. Um, and, and that can resolve as well. So that's why we don't ever want to over-treat because we would end up literally chopping women's services um, um, just for no reason. Yeah, and, and that's definitely not a, a thought that I think anybody, any woman would feel comfortable with. You know, you want to know that your doctor has your best interests at heart and, and over-treating um, over is, is problematic. So yeah. now, what about men? How do men experience HPV? Can we test men for HPV? And, and what do men need to know about this, this infection? It's so crazy because I just had this conversation with a client yesterday and and you know whether we are talking in fact contraception maybe there is this you know there are small steps in the right direction in terms of you know male contraceptives so to speak um is is how much as well something like this becomes the burden of the woman and this is not because hpv does not affect men but it's because it predominantly affects women in the form of cervical cancer vulval vaginal um uh, but but predominantly um uh, um, cervical. So men can get penile, anal cancer, can get, you know, oropharyngeal. But what is difficult is we don't have a method of testing uh, men for HPV as yet. And the crazy thing, like I said, is that it is transmittable between couples. So they are carriers. They they, they are carriers. And sometimes you'll find, you know, women, a woman will say, I've done the most. I have not, you know, slept around. And but if but if your partner, like any STI, if they if there's a discrepancy in how the 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 relationship is going between the two partners and someone else is 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 getting things from from elsewhere, it obviously impacts on the partner on the other partner. Um, so no, there is nothing. And unfortunately, even when you look at things like, and I'm sure we're going to chat about this a bit later on. Um, prioritizing you know things like vaccines the 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 focus has been on the the girl child on the woman um and and not necessarily on the men which which very often it's related to you know the, the politics the the politics the budgets and so to speak and 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 obviously the person who bears the brunt of the disease, which is the woman. But I think there is so much room that doesn't get spoken about in terms of vaccinating young boys as well, because, well, most of the time, who are the girls having sex with? Um, and, and then also just what can the man do? I still, um, you know, 
I still prescribe when, when somebody, if they've never been given a vaccine, for example, I, I will still prescribe um, to both the, the, the woman and the man in terms of uh, the, the vaccine. That's, that is so interesting. And I want to delve into that in a moment because I think that that's a topic we really do need to explore and, and um, uh, promote, so to speak. Um, but the one thing I was just wondering, you know, we've spoken a little bit about HPV and, and, and pap smears and testing internally, but can we talk a little bit about what symptoms, um, you know, people can experience with HPV externally on their genitals? Right. So you do get um, the particularly the strains 6 and 11 that cause genital warts. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's literally just, it's, it's warts. They, they are generally not painful, but if not attended to, they can grow really big. They can get infected. Um, um, and, 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 and when they are infected, they can bleed. They can be quite offensive in the smell. Worst case scenarios, they literally look like huge cauliflower that is infected. And yeah, like I said, they can bleed. Also, what, what is important to understand is that that is also because you don't just think about you know, the woman and the partner, you think about if the woman falls pregnant and they've got genital warts during labor, um, it is possible to transmit um, HPV to, to, to the child um, during delivery. So it, it, it is not just, you know, it's not, it, it, just because they are not cancerous um, doesn't mean that they are innocuous, so to speak. I think that that's such an interesting point. And, and I mean, it's the same with most STIs as well with, with herpes simplex virus and things like that. We, we don't often associate, um, you know, childbirth with an STI, but we do need to consider it. Um, and I think again, what you're saying is if somebody does develop genital warts, it's something that needs to be treated. So don't just ignore it and pretend it's going to go away or, or by ignoring and hoping it's going to go away. It is actually something that needs to be attended to. And so when you're seeing women in your practice, that's something that you can assist them with so that it doesn't get to that worst case scenario, as you mentioned, which I can imagine that my listeners are cringing. You know, I, you and I deal with this stuff every day, but for yeah. somebody who doesn't, yeah. hearing about this kind of infected cauliflower looking thing on one's vulva is going to cause the heebie-jeebies for a lot of women. Um, but as you're saying, it doesn't have to get to that stage, like, and it shouldn't get to that stage. So again, prevention is important here. I think that that's something that obviously we're trying to, to get the message out during this chat. Um, and men can experience them too. So, you know, who should men visit? If, if women are seeing a gynecologist, who should men visit to go and have those, those genital warts treated? Urologist, they're urologist. Great. Okay. So if a man's listening to this and he has got a genital wart or he's noticed something unusual on his genitals or around his genitals, on his anus or so on, go and see a urologist. So then let's, let's delve back into that, that, um, discussion we were starting about treatment for HPV. And I guess something that is interesting is, is you were talking about how if a woman has an abnormal pap smear one year, but then a normal pap smear there on out, you know, that's, that's the, the, the virus kind of resolving itself or the body fighting it off. What exactly is, is, is that about? And is it possible to get HPV if you've been vaccinated? <laughs> okay, let's start with the with the with the first question. Um, so remember, HPV is is the actual virus that basically sort of like embeds itself or it, it integrates itself into your own cervical cells, and that's what would then cause the changes. But like like any virus, whether it's a flu, your body has an immunity that is supposed to be able to fight off. Um, what is quite interesting as well is the fact that um, while somebody may not have, somebody may not have any changes at all. So the body is doing the most in terms of fighting, fighting that off or clearing the, 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 the virus. But 
you can, if you're doing, for example, the, the testing, the, te the HPV testing, you can pick up the strain of the virus without some, with somebody who has a normal uh, cytology. So your cells, or let me, how I always explain it is your body is doing what it needs to be doing in fighting the virus off. Um, but so you can pick it up. And, and, and also, you know, couples often look at the, you know, start looking at each other very funny when uh, you know there's an abnormal pap or we've picked up a strain, and 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 I quickly say to them, this could be a this could be from 20 years ago because that's how long um, a, a, a HPV can last in someone in someone's cervix. So you it, it it could be from a partner two years ago, it could be from five years ago. It doesn't necessarily mean that if I pick up um, an abnormal pap or a, a, a strain of, of the HPV, that it is from your current uh, situation. That's interesting, Dr. Mpumi, because I, I, I work with a lot of couples where they, the woman does get an abnormal PEP um, result and immediately, immediately the, 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 the lens is turned onto, to, onto each other as partners. Like, what have you been doing? Where have you been? And um, I know I asked you a second question. And I'm going to park it for a second and come back to it because this does speak to the stigma around STIs, right? Um, okay. It's, it's quite funny, actually. It's a bit like COVID. You know, when, when we first started experiencing lockdowns globally in this wave of COVID that sweeped across, across the world, the initial response to COVID, I felt, was much like that of STIs. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Have you been irresponsible? Did you not wear your mask? It's exactly the same as, as how people generally respond to, to an STI as like, oh my goodness, you've, you've been promiscuous. You weren't wearing a condom. You, you must have been irresponsible. I, I, I've been quite bemused by the similarities. And, and also, you know, there's been a lot of stigma around COVID initially um, in a lot of communities. So, so the stigma that exists and the way that the partners kind of turn the, the lens on each other and point fingers, I'm really glad that you you emphasize there like this like you stop your 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 patients and you're like this could have been there 20 years ago this is not about you and him you know yeah. or you were the two of you as a couple this is something that could have been there many 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 decades ago and and i see that so often i'm having to help couples navigate and understand that and i often find it's because there's misinformation so i know i, I parked that question and I, I will come back to it but the stigma that exists. Why is yeah, there yeah. such a stigma? And, and in particular around HPV, I hear a lot of stigma around HPV. Yeah. There, there is stigma around any, any STIs. And, and, and it is for that reason, um, you know, the one, the, you know, partially is because first of all, just generally and, and globally is that we don't, we don't have enough sex positivity. We don't talk very positively about um, sex and sexuality. There, there is so much taboos and, you know, hush, hush. So, so it, it, first of all, it, 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 it doesn't give people who are going through whatever, just the, the, the permission and the opportunity to say, I've got this, I need it, I need it sorted out. So that's the, that's the one part of it. It's just when you look at anything that has to do with sex and sexuality, just the general stigma around sex and, and, and the, the lack, or, or let me say the not enough sex positivity, that, that's where it starts. But also, um, and, and, and I see this a lot, it, particularly for the woman, it's the burden of, um, it affects mainly 70% of the time, um, um, you know, HPV causes cervical cancer, you know, and, and so who has a cervix? It's the woman. So who bears the, 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 the burden of having to go and get a pap smear done? I mean, men, men to be fair, they don't really go for much of it, anything. So it, it, it's the woman who bears the, 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 just the burden of having to go. And also there is this um, unspoken thing where the minute a woman has an, an abnormal pap, whether it is from their partner, whether it is just, you know, societally, um, that thing you were talking about where people look and say, what have you been doing? You know, that assumption, what have you been doing? What have you been up to? Um, we saw this a lot with, with HIV as well. And, and, and I think it is so important when that's why I spoke about, it is important 
to, to, for us to have information, awareness about how these things, how these, uh, you know, STIs are contracted and, you know, who is at risk, who is more predisposed. Um, and, 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 and people will actually understand. I, I always say HPV is one of those that technically it shouldn't have a stigma at all because chances are if you've been sexually active, we've all had it. That was so beautifully put and so clear and concise. And I think just emphasizing, as you did a second time, about how HPV becomes the burden of the woman. You are so right. I mean, the first time that men generally do anything about their, <laughs> about their kind of reproductive and sexual health organs is when they either are trying to fall pregnant and they're needing fertility testing or they're going to you know, check on prostate health and things like that. But for women... As soon as we become sexually active, we need to be seeing a gynecologist or, or, or a GP for our, our pap smears. So it's a lifelong commitment, actually, almost all the time for a woman. And so the burden is there. And, and you're right. I think there are a lot of similarities between the HIV, um, you know, the HIV and HPV, COVID and HPV. And for me, that's why I want to have these conversations and, and conversations with somebody like yourself, because I want to debunk myths about something that as you have just pointed out almost everybody will get in their life and that is is the need to normalize this type of conversation where we're treating hpv the same that we would treat influenza you know influenza comes around every year we don't it's also a virus we don't then go and stigmatize people and say well what have you been doing and where have you been doing it when our partner gets flu we don't we might be irritated that you know they've brought flu home but we, we don't start questioning that the, the trust that we have in the relationship and accusing them of betraying us. So, you know, that would be a, a, a dream that one day somehow, you know, we don't have the stigma associated to it, but I think that that's a, a tough ask. Um, so let me go back to the question that I was asking you. So the vaccination for HPV, if someone has had this vaccination, can they still get HPV? So the, 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 the short answer to that is yes. And it's for two reasons. One, there is no vaccination that is 100%. Um, so when you look at, you know, a lot of the research, um, it, it, it quotes anything between um, 90 and 99%. Um, the other thing that is also quite interesting when it comes to HPV is the fact that it's got so many strains. And the vaccines that have currently um, been, been developed and approved. Um, so far, there is um, the Severix, which is um, it, it targets the two high, 16 and 18, the high, the high risk um, for, for cancer. There is the Gardasil, which targets it, which has um, basically targets four strains, which is uh, 16, 18, which is the, the high risk, as well as the, 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 the genital warts one, the 6 and 11. And then I know, I think in, in, in the US, they've got, um, I think it's called Gardasil 9, where they've got a few more um, from the high-risk um, strains. I think there's about nine targets, nine. Now, like I said earlier on, if you've got a virus that potentially has like, you know, a hundred strains, it is still possible. Um, the last thing um, that is important about the vaccine is that, and, and that's why when you look at policies, um, they target um, those, you know, the young girls between the ages of like nine and 11 to, to get the vaccine because it is most effective in somebody who has never been exposed. And that makes sense. But the extension is anybody who has never been vaccinated up to the age of 45, um, it is still a good idea, especially if they if they have access. It is still a good idea because um, it can prevent, you know, you might have been exposed to, you know, uh, 16, but not to 18. So it prevents, um, it, it can still be helpful in preventing um, uh, um, or decreasing the chances of contracting the other strains as well. That is such important information for us to be putting out there. And, and I want to say that I had the Gardasil vaccination, gosh, many decades ago, I think. I mean, probably at least over a decade ago. In my early, I think in my early 20s, so way over a decade ago, um, 
And I was under the impression that once I'd had this vaccination, that's it. No HPV, you know, I'll be fine. So I think that you and I having this discussion is so necessary because when doctors are, are suggesting that somebody does get vaccinated, I don't think they're giving their patients enough information. I wasn't given enough information about this. And yeah. then, again, it's not just about vaccinating women under a certain age. Up to the age of 45, it's important to be, to be vaccinated because it does help. As you said, it's not perfect. No vaccine is. But it does help to prevent the strains that we, we, we really want to be preventing. One thing also I just wanted to mention in terms of the vaccine, I think also it's important for people to understand that getting vaccinated when you have been, say, for example, you've had, the vaccine does not treat an abnormal pap. The vaccine does not, it it, it obviously cannot protect you from a strain that you've already been um, exposed to. So we also don't want to create the idea that get vaccinated and it will make, you know, the, 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 the abnormal pep go away. No, that is, that is not why we're giving the vaccine. The vaccine is strictly to prevent um, anything that you are not, you haven't been exposed to as yet in terms of the strain. But also what is important is that your body builds antibodies that fight against um, uh, um, just, you know, whenever you get exposure. So it's still important, but it's also just as important to understand why do we give it and what is the purpose of it. And that's crucial, I think, for people to to have the correct information about. Um, Because, as I've just said, without the correct information, you think kind of, oh, I'm fine, you know, cool, I've had had the vaccination, so HPV is not a problem anymore. The, The interesting thing is in Australia, they they vaccinate boys and girls what are your what are your thoughts on that and do you think that that should be something that you know ideally obviously should be happening globally a hundred percent hundred percent agree they they are literally on the money because if you look at the percentage of a heterosexual intercourse it's 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 so much more and 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 i think even to discriminate and say heterosexual uh, um, uh, intercourse. What about, for example, um, you know, in, in same sex, whether it's females or it's males. So two males who are having intercourse and have never been vaccinated, they are at risk of giving each other um, HPV literally back and forth, if you understand what I mean. Mm-hmm. So th- this idea of just the girls, I think the 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 shortfall of it is, first of all, I think it perpetuates the stigmas around, around you know, um, HPV and, and, and it creates, again, that burden for the woman. Um, but secondly, it just doesn't make sense considering that um, you, don't, you don't get HPV by having sex with yourself. You get it by having it with someone else. Um, through through the transmission uh, um, with 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 a partner, and so it, it is it, it is absolutely crucial. And if you vaccinate girls and boys, you are raising a generation that has a significant decrease in the amount of HPV exposure in that particular you know generation. And if you do this long enough, um, you you could very easily almost eliminate. Um, you know, cervical cancer, uh, um, so to speak. I wonder then, like, what, what do you wish that, that we were being taught about HPV, you know, in schools, you know, prior to becoming sexually active? What do you wish kids were being educated about um, before mm. their sexual debut? Um, it's such a difficult one because for me personally, it's not just about isolating one particular STI or even STIs, so much goes into, um, you know, somebody being ready to, 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 you know, sexual debut. I think I wish that uh, girls and boys were actually taught more about their bodies. Um, as we transition from childhood to being um, a young adult, a young woman, a young man, 
why is my body changing? And, 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 and so, so that a, a, a teenager can make sense of, you know, the hormonal changes first and foremost, but also how it affects um, the, their drive in terms of the, their sexuality. Um, I think also what's important is when you explain these things, it's just to say to somebody, it is so important for you you will never understand yourself in totality, particularly as a teenager. And, and fair enough, you may never make all the best decisions um, for yourself as a teenager. But at the very least, um, give yourself the opportunity to understand what you're getting yourself into, what are the risks, um, how do you want to feel about that particular, um, whether you call it an event, or how do you want to feel about yourself? I think we don't do enough self-empowering so that somebody is confident and um, there is less of a chance that people are swayed and pushed into making decisions about things that they're not ready for, that, that they're, they're not well informed about um and, and and of course like i said it doesn't especially at that age you know you you're more likely to make mistakes um which is fair but at the very least if we just empower young girls young men to love and own their bodies and protect their bodies and know how to protect their bodies in whatever they engage in i think for me that would be a great start mm, uh, i i concur with you immensely you know I, I, it's like a lifelong mission, how much I try to instill this message of permission in people because that's never been given to them. And what you're talking about is, can we empower young people in their bodies, in their sexual experiences and essentially being given them, giving them permission to do so. And it's something that I promote with my clients and I'll, I'll promote with basically anybody who will listen that we don't get given this, so we actually have to work hard when we're adults to give it to ourselves, to give ourselves permission to explore our sexuality, to learn about our bodies, to be empowered in our bodies. And, and I think you're right. It's not about tackling one STI or all STIs, but actually about understanding oneself better um, and, and having a deeper, a deeper relationship with one's own, one, one's own body. So, Dr. Pumi, the last question that I have for you, and I ask it of all my guests at the end of the episode, is what's the most surprising thing about this work that you've been doing, you know, in working with women with HPV or people with HPV? Um, what's the most surprising thing that, that, that you could share with us? <laughs> I think what, what always um, pops out for me, and, and, and I'm always pleasantly surprised at how... It, it almost always teaches me as well and reminds me, you're a woman too. This, what they're going through, you know, you are going through yourself. I remember um, even something as simple as a lot of women, whether it's because of past experiences, past, um, uh, you know, whether it's traumatic or just uncomfortable experiences, um, how women actually think it through the idea of just going to get a pap smear like oh my gosh okay i need to pick somebody and how they go through the grueling process of okay who am i going to allow into this vulnerable space of mine and so the surprising thing for me is always that every year as well i think i have those thoughts i think to myself oh which one of my colleagues am i going to um you know go and be vulnerable with and and you know whilst i wait for the results but what has been um pleasant for me is that it, it, it allows me to to understand what what women are going through when they are anxious about having a pap smear about an abnormal um result about when i take them to theater for a colposcopy and a lids um it, and, and and so it, it it puts the responsibility for me as a clinician to extend myself beyond just being a technician in terms of, okay, this is what you do. This is what we'll do. Um, it's, it's, it's sitting in and standing in the gap with them um, and saying, we'll get through this. I don't think enough clinicians 
um, have learned that emotional intelligence or have that emotional intelligence. And I think it's partially because we never bring ourselves to the table, um, you know, our own experiences to the table when we, when we see clients. But when you know what it feels like and you understand, especially somebody who doesn't have as much information as you may have, um, there's a lot more risk of them being you know, in an emotional state about something that you may consider very simple and straightforward. I love that, Dr. Mpumi, the, the human side of it and realizing, you know, I'm a woman too. I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. I'm not just here for, you know, here for you as your doctor, but I'm here with you as a woman, as a human being. Um, and you know, <laughs> as a woman who's had many pap smears in my life, I would say that it, it's obviously not the most pleasant of experiences. It's not the most enjoyable thing. I'm very fortunate that that I have a, a wonderful gynae that I have a great relationship with. And when I, I love going for my annual appointments because I love seeing her um, and having, a, you know, her and I have fat, fat work chats. Um, but it's still not something that I would happily put myself up for because it's just not the greatest experience for women. And so what you've just said has really struck a chord with me because I work with women who have had horrific experiences um, when trying to have a pap smear because they have, you know, they've already got a, um, they've already got an existing sexual pain disorder and they, they're trying to kind of grit and bear it and just get this done. And they're seeing somebody who's got very little compassion or very little understanding about sexual pain and what that means for a woman. Um, and just lacking the the real empathic side of 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 this process, and I think that you stand out in what you've just said about that. So thank you. I want obviously people in um, in South Africa, possibly obviously Johannesburg, to be able to come and see you if uh, if they're looking for a gynecologist, but also just anyone to reach out to you. So where do people find you, and how can they reach you? So for appointments, I am based at uh, Morningside Medic Clinic, and it's in Stanton. Um, but um, something that I've also really loved, and it extends beyond, I don't think people have this idea that, you know, you can have your own gynae, so to speak, but when it comes to information, you don't have to drink from the same well because different clinicians have got so many different things to offer. And, and, and I found, I mean, I, you know, I look at your work, I look at my sexual health and, and fair enough, we, we are quite a, a network. Um, and, and so what I'm getting at is, for example, our Instagram page has probably been more um, influential um, than the visit to a gynae or visit to me. So yes, please do pop in and, you know, in Santana rooms, but just for girly girl things that we learn um, on our Instagram page, which is dr.gynae, so D-R.G-Y-N-A-E, dr.gynae. We do a lot of chats um, around, you know, particularly women's health, sex and sexuality. Um, yeah. Thank you. And, and yeah, it's, it's an incredible tool, isn't it? Instagram um, as a way to get, you know, really good information um, from, from somebody who isn't your gynecologist, but has, is putting out fantastic stuff there. And um, despite um, I have a love hate relationship with Instagram, because while I'm trying to get off my phone, I know that Instagram is the most brilliant tool to engage with with our clients on, on really relevant topics such as this. Um, and thank you. Thank you, Dr. Mpumi for your time today. I know it's precious, but I have no doubt that um, a lot of people, women and men, those who identify otherwise are going to learn a fortune from the chat we've had today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Katrina. Got a question you'd like to ask for a friend? Reach out to me via my website or Instagram and I'll be sure to include it in a Q&A episode soon. You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it.